When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. Nothing personal word of the day. It is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. We're back. I want to get right into it because there is plenty to discuss, but I'm not going to because I want to mention one thing that you may not believe. Whether you are Jewish or not Jewish, go to Israel. I just got back from 12 days in Israel and I had not experienced it in the way, I've been there before, I had not experienced it in the way that I just did and seen the things that I was able to see in Jerusalem went all from the north to the south, West Bank, Golan Heights, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Caesarea, Akko, Tzfat, all over. The Negev Desert went to Jordan, saw the old city of Petra, and then I did something for Coca went to Wadi Rum in Jordan where they filmed in the desert, John Wick, chapter four. They also filmed The Martian there. Indiana Jones was filmed. Why? Because it looks like Mars. It looks like something out of this world. And the reason I say that everyone should go to Israel is that there's a real PR problem. Israel is safe, start there. And finding peace in the Middle East, I'm not going to do a segment on peace in the Middle East. I will only say that anyone who expected Jared Kushner to step in and find a way to get peace in the Middle East is just downright silly. Jerusalem is the holiest city in the world for three separate religions. Three separate religions are practiced there, maybe for the first time. And what fascinates me is the way people coexist, except the PR that we get is there's nothing but fighting, there's nothing but rancor, there's nothing but anger and hatred and death and violence. And in fact, what you see is collaboration, understanding and tolerance. There is no solution that I can come up with in one show or 10 shows or one year or 10 years and to pretend otherwise would be a level of hubris that even I do not have. Certainly going public and saying that I am assigning somebody and he will get peace in the Middle East, you'll see, is just, it doesn't compute. Hard to get anybody to give in on anything when you're talking about religion, when you're talking about a place where, I went to the same place, Coca, I don't even know if I told you this, but I'd like to. I went to a place right near the Sea of Galilee, the same area on the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized and the Israelites crossed into the promised land after 40 years in the desert. Same place. Who's gonna want control of that? Who's gonna give up control of that? 
getting out of your comfort zone is something we talk about on Nothing Personal. And I was out of my comfort zone on this trip quite often. And the reason that I am thankful to all of you for letting me do it and for staying with Nothing Personal and listening to the mailbags and listening to the sit-downs, joining us for last night's special deadline special, that's redundant, which I did do back home, is that it's the stomach ache. And I had a stomach ache throughout this trip, discomfort, not fear, just a desire to learn, a desire to understand things that I don't fully understand, to do things that I don't often do. I encourage that for all of you, whether it means traveling to Israel or traveling next door. Trying to keep track of everything that happened when I was gone, I put the phone away as often as possible. The rundown for today's show has about 24 subjects and we're not gonna be able to get to them. Can you imagine the first show back and I don't think I can talk about Danny Snyder being gone from the Commanders or maybe now they're the Redskins again. Not even gonna get to it. Daniel Snyder, gone. Tell you what I will get to. In the next 41 minutes, we have a new website called davidsampsonpodcast.com. Go on the website, and if you order merchandise, we have a merch store, we're gonna be adding items throughout. There's discounts that you'll find when you sign up. We will not abuse your email, I promise. But we're gonna do a raffle for anyone who orders during the course of this live show. On the West Coast, good morning, wake up early. In Israel, you're already awake. Bunch of nothing personal fans. I ran into four people, which may not sound like a lot, but I didn't look like myself in that I was quite schleppy and sweaty. But Coco, we've got fans and it was two people in Israel and then two people traveling there from the States who are fans of nothing personal. Go on davidsampsonpodcast.com, order merchandise during the show, and you will be entered into a raffle that we are gonna do and you're gonna get a special prize. And special prizes for me, I think those of you who've won them, they're pretty cool. One thing that's pretty cool, transition alert, is last night the deadline passed and I did my last hit on CBS at about 10.30 p.m. because Framber Valdez threw a new hit, a no-hitter for 8.69. Last night at 10.30 p.m. I did a segment on CBS Sports HQ because Framber Valdez threw a no-hitter for the Houston Astros. That's a pretty cool thing under any scenario. But the day after the trade deadline is a critical day for all teams in Major League Baseball. Because either you buy, you sell, or you do nothing. But the focus of game one is trying to have the players manifest that which you wanted them to by your actions on deadline day. The Houston Astros added Justin Verlander. Query, did they give up too much? No. Query, are they paying him too much? No, because the Mets are paying such a huge amount that Verlander is owed. But the Astros went into their game against the Cleveland Guardians saying, we've got our number two starter on the mound who's going to win the Cy Young, who's being pushed down to number two by cooperating because Justin Verlander is back as the ace of the staff as they try to repeat as World Series champions. Framber Valdez could have pouted. Framber Valdez could have said, you know what? 
Screw you, Dana Brown and Jim Crane. I'm your captain now. Why are you trading for someone? Let's get hitters. Let's get bullpen guys. Or get a four starter. Get Michael Lorenzen. Get Jack Flaherty. Don't bring in Verlander. But no. Valdez did the opposite. He came out and commanded all four of his pitches and threw a 93-pitch Maddox. That's your second verb in a row if you watched last night's show. We taught you the verb to Beltran. Eduardo Rodriguez is the opposite. He did not Beltran, which is when you go to a contender at the deadline, perform, and then get a bigger free agent deal than you normally would get. That's to Beltran. Valdez came out and he said, you know what? Watch this. And he showed Dusty Baker, he showed Dana Brown, he showed his teammates, and he showed the league that not only is he not gonna pout or fret, but he is gonna combine with Justin to form the most formidable one-two punch in baseball. I mean, of course, outside of the Mets, Scherzer, and DeGrom. Oh, that's a note from last year. Take that out of the show, Coca. Like the Rangers, Scherzer and DeGrom. No, we can't even say that. DeGrom's out for the year. Like the Rangers, Scherzer and Nivaldi. Oh, just forget it. So after the deadline, we told you, did we ever get confirmation that Steve Cohn flew to Kansas City? We talked about it live last night. I haven't seen anything online. Steve Cohn stopped tweeting. This is the problem if you're going to be an owner out there. You can't just be there when things are good. He tweeted in June 27th saying, I'm going to give it to you straight. And he held that press conference. He certainly gave it to us straight. Sell Mortimer, sell. But then he's gone radio silent. Like radio silent. Well, you can't go radio silent after deadline day. GMs are meeting the media. Managers are meeting the media. I want to point out a couple things that a couple of GMs said, and I want to explain why they said it. And I think you're going to smile. Let's start with my main man, Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman is a Hall of Fame executive who has been with the New York Yankees for decades. One World Series, last one in 2009, being absolutely crushed for their deadline move. They brought in a middling reliever named Middleton. The Yankees then went out in a very important post-deadline game and they showed us exactly the problem with the Yankees. And they lost 5-2 to the Tampa Bay Rays. Stanton did not start. He came up with a chance to tie the game in the ninth and struck out. Yankees lose. Lack of hitting. Carlos Rodon, their amazing free agent signing of last season, who, what was he paid? About $160 million, not good. So Brian Cashman has to meet the media. And here's what he wants. He wants me to be Andy Dufresne. All right, I'm gonna be Andy Dufresne. Hopefully we got a little better with Middleton and hopefully we can get better from within. That's obviously what we're doing. And hopefully we didn't get worse by making a bad decision. And we'll see if we can turn those jeers into cheers. Let that marinate just for one quick sec here. 
hopefully, when you talk to your GM and give them talking points after the deadline, we would sit with the PR, with the president of baseball operations and with me, and we go over talking points. This is the message that we want post deadline. Here's the message that we don't want out there if we're the New York Yankees, that we are basing our decisions on a hope and a prayer. Come join us in hope because hope is the greatest thing of all. Well, thank you, Red, and thank you, Andy. That's very nice of you to say, but not when you've got the number two payroll in baseball. You can't act as though you are looking for hope. That's for middle of the road teams. That's for the Marlins when I was there. That's for 20 of the teams. You're selling hope. You're selling the illusion, the possibility of the chance of winning. That you never know we may be the story this year. The Pittsburgh Pirates, when they started 20 and nine, buy tickets, were selling hope. It disappears over the course of a season. One good run away from being in the thick of it. You don't do that when you're the Padres, when you're the Yankees, and when you're the Mets. You take it head on. I'm Brian Cashman, and here's what I'm saying. Andre, thank you for your order. You're in the raffle. DavidSampsonPodcast.com. When you are the Yankees, here's what Brian Cashman is saying in that microphone. We specifically did not make a change to this team when we had opportunities to. Because the players who we have are the exact players we want on the field every day. While their performance has not yet matched our expectations with 60 games left, it is our expectation that they will play to the abilities that they have and we evaluate they still have. That's my comment. We're not giving you any opportunity. Now, this is David Sampson talking. Alex, thank you for your order. We're not giving you any opportunity to question our ability to do our job. You wanna judge us after the fact, you wanna go into chat rooms and Twitter and you wanna say what a bad team president or a bad GM or fire the manager, do it. But we're not giving you any runway to have that conversation. I simply don't understand how after this many years, Brian Cashman doesn't get it and can't sell it. Luckily, they've got their crosstown rivals, the New York Mets, taking all the headlines away, which in the old days would have made George Steinbrenner insane. Everything that's going on with the Mets would have made him crazy until yesterday when he would have come out, not publicly, but would have leaked his sheer delight in the Mets selling off their pieces and sheer jubilation in Max Scherzer's leaking of comments of a private conversation between him and, and erstwhile head of the baseball operations. Well, he still is, I guess, but I don't think so. Erstwhile means recently. I think David Stearns has probably already been hired to run the Mets. I think that everything the Mets did, David Stearns knew about was involved in, and he will be a part of going forward. 
But for whatever reason, the messaging is that the Mets are not looking to compete in 2024. So Billy Epler had to correct that. Billy Epler said, we will field a competitive team in 2024. Our organization is making strides for a better future. Almost, Billy. I don't know your PR people. Steve Cohn may have been with you in Kansas City, may have told you what to say, but you came this close. I can't even shine a flashlight through how close you came to getting this right. 25 teams can talk about now and the future. That is a line you read, it's in the playbook. We are here to build sustained winning. Our goal is a competitive team every single year. That's great. Whether your payroll is 50 million or 250 million, that's fine. You're in, Scott, davidsampsonpodcast.com. However, you can't do that when you're the Mets. You can't do that when your payroll is $350 million. You can't do it when your luxury tax is higher than the A's payroll. You can't do it when you've had a season like this. Selling, I agree. But what you say is, we sold because this year wasn't happening. Next year, we're back, baby. You don't want to talk about the pain of getting where you want to go. You're there at $350 million payroll. What are you going to 500 million? Or are you trying to sell us? You're going to take your payroll down, but you're going to get more competitive because all of a sudden you're smarter. No. The sales pitch when you're the Mets after this deadline, no one is more angry than I am that we had to make these trades. It is unfathomable that we are in the position we're in. When this team was put together with the resources given to us by our owner, Stephen Cohn, it is impossible to believe that we are in a position where we were sellers at the trade deadline. It was not even a conversation that came up before the season started. Whereas for 20 teams, this is a side note, parenthetical by David, for 20 teams, it absolutely is a discussion when you're talking about upside, downside. It's like when you're doing projections in your company, you do a base case, an upside case, and a downside case. We do the same thing with the team, both from a revenue standpoint and also from a performance standpoint, upside, downside, base case. The Mets downside case was not what took place this past week. Own it, but then tourniquet it. Back to Billy and what his comment should be. Given that we did not in a million years believe this was gonna happen, I wanna thank our scouts, our development people, and our owner for so quickly pivoting and recognizing that we had an opportunity to improve our farm system and have payroll flexibility as we head into next year and continue our quest with this speed bump to winning a World Series. That's all he should say, period. But Billy, what about Pete Alonzo? There's only one thing you ask about Pete Alonzo. We expect Pete Alonzo to be here for his entire career. And we look forward to that deal getting done. That's all you say. Instead, when asked about Pete Alonzo, he said, that'll be a discussion that we kind of hold behind closed doors. I'm not asking you how many years you're offering or how much money you're offering. I wanna know what your view is of Pete Alonzo. 
It's very simple. Instead of just saying, which is what he said, we love having Pete here. He's a strong player. He means so much. No, it is our intention that Pete Alonso will retire a New York Met. He is the fabric of the Mets. Don't then caveat it, but we'll wait to see, which is what every other team has to do, or at least 25 of the teams, because you expect that your bid will not be the highest. If Pete Alonso doesn't re-sign as a free agent with the Mets, it's because the Mets did not offer him as much money as another team, and they should have. And they will. And he will sign. Otani or no Otani. But when you're asked about a pending free agent and you're the Mets with a $350 million payroll and you're keeping him, say it. What are you, giving up leverage? The reason why we hold our cards close to our vest and we mislead the media and we have certain statements that are made that indicate a level of interest that is not actually comparable to our actual level of interest is we don't want agents to take advantage of our position. There is no doubt that Alonzo, his agent, and the Mets are all on the same page of what's going to happen with Pete Alonzo. It's a matter of when, not if. So why distract yourself with comments like this? It's so easy to have these meetings. AJ Preller, you've been doing this long enough. You've been on the edge of getting fired for long enough. Can't believe you haven't. The Padres, beyond a disappointment, you don't trade Blake Snell, who's going to be a free agent. You don't trade Josh Hader, who's going to be a free agent. You don't trade Juan Soto, who has a year of control left. And then the best you say, we just never got anything that was that compelling. OMG. It's a fireable offense to have a quote like that if you're the Padres. Peter Seidler calls up AJ Preller. Listen here, AJ. When you're asked about our deadline, you say, of course, we weren't moving any of the pieces that are central to this season because we are confident that this team will be there in October and show its medal the way it has not consistently done so to this point. We are proud of the way they've played in the last few weeks, and we are now expecting to take off. That's the angle you take. Not, oh, you just didn't get a good enough offer. What, what, you're gonna get a good enough offer for Blake Snell, a rental five and diver? What does that mean? You wanted somebody's number two prospect, they offered you the number four prospect. You wanted four guys, they offered you five guys, three guys. I just named like two restaurants. That's an inside New York joke for three guys, but five guys you got. I wonder if there's a four guys restaurant. Why would they skip from three to five? AJ, be better. Be confident. Don't ever say, oh, it wasn't compelling. You got to go to that clubhouse. I always liked this after the deadline. I'd walk into the clubhouse and there'd be these rumors about a player who was going to be traded who wasn't traded. And I'd look at the player. I'd say, hey, glad that's over. He's like, yeah, was I going to be traded? Hey, we definitely had conversations. You can tell the player. I have no problem with that. You can say, hey, if we thought we'd get better by trading you, we would have done it. I tell players that from the first day of spring training, maybe I'm out of the ordinary. But you're gonna walk into that clubhouse and look at Josh and look at Blake and say, ah, wasn't compelling. Go get him. It's completely absurd. It truly is. Here's another thing that we never wanna say when we're winning. 
when you're at the deadline and you're selling or you're at the deadline and you don't think you can really win so you don't buy a lot and you're sort of on the fringe of a playoff spot, here's the quote. The fringe quote is what you give. We took some very big swings and it just didn't work out. That's a great quote. Unless you're Mike Elias from the Baltimore Orioles. Yes, they got Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals. <gasps> That's tiring, exhausting. He's fine. He's a veteran guy. We talked about that on CBS yesterday. That's nice. Bring in a vet, get some innings, some leadership, some winning. Winning fixes everything, right? You're in first place in the AL East. You've taken over from the Tampa Bay Rays who were looked at as the number one team for the first several months of the season. And now you are sprinting past them. Don't tell me that you're a year too early or a year too late. No one wants to hear that. You are now. You are your reality. The Orioles cannot say after the deadline that we took some very big swings. This is a team that can win the American League right now. They're not going to, but they could. In a city where they're looking for stadium. Remember, Camden Yards, they need, they need refurbishment. They're looking for public money. They're looking for a deal. They're looking to increase their revenue. They're trying to figure out what to do with Masson and the situation with the Nationals. They're trying to get momentum. They have a team that all of their 100 lost seasons, it's working out for them. Own it, embrace it, celebrate it. You come out and you say to the media, my name is Mike Elias and we have the best trade deadline of any team in baseball. You wanna judge us based on a bunch of deals that were made by people trying to chase us? They're chasing us. We had our eye on Jack Flaherty the entire time because that sort of veteran presence as we go into the stretch run to win this division and get deep into October and represent the American League by winning the pennant, that's who we wanted. Hey, welcome to the team, Jack. We took some big hints, big swings, didn't work out. But we got you. Go, go over there in the corner. You're in the booby prize corner. Give me a break. I don't know why there's not more preparation. It's not like the trade deadline snuck up. There were times that I got caught with my proverbial PR pants down. No question. Things happen during the course of a career, during the course of a season. Tragedies happen. Unexpected things happen on the field, off the field. You do your best before you meet the media to try to get the talking points down. Sometimes you get caught. Sometimes you say the wrong thing. The trade deadline has been August 1st for what? Seven months? All right, let's take a break, Coco. I'm a little worked up. I mean, the show wrote itself today. All right, we come back. We are going to review a TV series that I watched with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. And then we're gonna talk about something that happened in the NFL with running backs that I guarantee will make you smile. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, 
real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson here with Matthew Coca every day at 8 a.m. live. Unless we're not here, in which case you get other shows. Thank you for downloading, for listening, being on YouTube, subscribing on YouTube, all the ways you're engaging with us. And we gave you another way yesterday, davidsampsonpodcast.com. Go check out our website. You'll have clips. You'll have links to social media, links to our shows. Make sure you're subscribing to everything. Subscribe to the email list. Go to the merch store and proudly wear the Nothing Personal merch. And if you order now during the show, you will be enrolled in a raffle and the winner will get a cool prize. So even with everything going on, and this is me and Coca. Matthew Coca, David Sampson. Nothing personal. We are nothing personal. Along with you, the audience. Coca's got about 25 things that he does hardest working producer there is, does everything by himself, basically winds me up to talk for 45 minutes per day. Yet, we still find a way to watch content. I texted Coca during the break and I said, hey, I finished Platonic, the TV series. And here's why I'm reviewing it right out of the gates. I do not believe that you can be best friends with a girl, if you are a boy, and have there not be any sort of sexual tension or innuendo. This is not me being a dinosaur. This is not me talking about LGBTQ. This is, it doesn't matter. It can be boy, boy, girl, girl. I'm talking about best friends with someone of a gender or not gender, however you wanna describe it. I'm not here to be canceled or to put people in different buckets. I'm talking about when Harry met Sally. And you can replace Harry for Harriet. You can do whatever you want. Platonic is about Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne as best friends. And it's a platonic relationship and how that relationship works. It's fantasy. Did I laugh a few times? Yes. Was I interested in the concept? Yes. Did I guess the ending? Nope. Even with the name of the show, it was impossible for me to believe that it would end season one or the whole series, whatever it is, the way it did. Spoiler alert. What's the, what are our rules again, Coca? 
Did you tell me those? Because if you did, I forgot them. Or did we did I discuss it on Levitard, maybe? I don't know the spoiler alert. If you haven't watched Platonic, you should watch it. But at the end, guess what happens? Fantasy. Total. Seth Rogen's good. All right, I want to get right into this because when this story happened during the uh, during my our break, it was one of the few things that happened that I wanted to go right and do a live show at this moment. Jim Irsay is the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. He is the one who we have discussed with the Danny Snyder saga. He is the one who was put out front by Roger Goodell, no matter what you've heard or what people are making you believe. There were talking points by Jim Ursay all throughout when owners were ready to get rid of Snyder, make him sell, force him to sell. Ursay, for all of his foibles, is the perfect mouthpiece for certain things because people view him, wow, that guy buys memorabilia and may do some lines. Whatever he does on his off time doesn't interest me. Live and let live. Thank you, Corbin. There's a player named Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is a running back. I think he's in his fourth year. He led the league in rushing a couple years ago. He is a very, very good offensive player. As a matter of fact, according to Coca and other pundits, I would assume, the best offensive player on the team. There has been an entire issue this offseason with running backs. Running backs. Saquon Barkley. I don't want to sign the tag. I want a long-term deal. All right, I'll agree to a deal. Running backs, I'm not being respected. I'm not getting paid enough money. Running backs, let's get together, form a coalition, and do Zoom calls. I wonder what that's like. Do they do it like from their sports cars, from their mansions? It's not that I'm feeling badly or not feeling badly for any professional athlete or for any executive in the C-suite or for anyone who's got money, doesn't have money. It's all good. But that's a funny little club. It's not exactly the breakfast club. Running backs getting on there and saying, we are being mistreated. The union stepping up and saying, interesting what's going on with running backs. Agents coming out and saying, there's some sort of collusion against running backs. Can I explain to people what a salary cap is and what a salary floor is and what a franchise tag is? A salary cap and a salary floor is something that don't exist in baseball, which is why the Mets can be at 350 and why the A's can be at 50. In the National Football League, the bands are much tighter and every team has to spend a certain amount. The union, the NFL Players Association, they negotiate a collective bargaining agreement between the players, members of the union, and management, owners of the team. When they collectively bargain a salary cap and a salary floor, what they're guaranteeing is that members of their union will get X amount of dollars paid to them, split amongst all the members of the union. Sometimes you basically correlate league revenue to salary cap. Roughly, that's what you do. So let's say that salaries will be 50% of league revenue. There's exceptions and there's football-related revenue, but forget all that. If we've got $10 of revenue, we're paying the employees on the field $5. Rough math. The $5 gets spent however management wants, period. That is the number one rule of compensation. 
You can negotiate away rule number one, that's called draft slotting. You can negotiate rule number one, that's called franchise tagging with set numbers of what the franchise tag is. You can negotiate away number one by doing what qualified offers are in baseball, but it's all part of an overall negotiation where you're trading things left, right, and center. Franchise tag amounts are based on money that's paid to players by position. Who do you think has the highest franchise tag amount? What position? Quarterback, 32.4 million. Easy. Why is that? Because quarterbacks are so highly paid. Why is that? Because owners believe that's the most important position on the field. Why is that? Because they are. So every team spending to its floor and then approaching its cap has to do an allocation. Why do you think Aaron Rodgers took a $35 million pay cut? Because he loves New York? Because he loves being in the heart of darkness? He wants to be cool and special? Because there's only a certain amount of money that the Jets can pay and he wants to win a Super Bowl to differentiate himself from Favre. Doesn't want that narrative anymore. Wants to go to the Jets and be Joe Namath. Fine. I can't believe he took that pay cut. Side note, Coca, not on the rundown. Aaron, what? Sorry, Jets fans, but that's absurd. There's gotta be more to that story. Him just taking $35 million away. Oh, because I really want better players around me. All right, but let's get back to why, or the point, which is money gets allocated. Why is it that running backs believe that they should have a higher allocation of the money? Does that mean that they want to take money away from wide receivers or offensive linemen? What about defensive ends? How about linebackers? We want some of that. Running backs, their franchise tag number is 10 million. Linebackers are 21 million. Here's the idea. Let's cut the difference. We'll have both of them at 15 and a half. As a matter of fact, let's negotiate where every player has the same, every position has the same franchise tag amount. Perfect. You think the union would actually go for that? Forget owners. Because as an owner, which I wasn't, let me do that again, 4869. As a president, I fought for two things during my career, pretty hard, lost them both. Free agency for every player every year, would have loved it. Pay players based on what they do, not what they did, or not what they may do, what they immediately in the past did this past year. If they're hurt, nothing. If they stink, nothing. If you're great, a lot. Free agency every single year. Never got that. Second thing, amazing if we could pay every player the same amount. 25 guys, pay them all 5 million bucks. That's it. We'll be soccer, except for Messi, not anymore. Everyone will have the same payroll. We'll choose guys, put the focus on development, the focus on scouting, and differentiate yourself that way. You'll get every single vote on management side. Guess who won't vote for that? The union. So for the running backs to come out and say, oh, woe is us. Who's got their back exactly? Nobody. That's why they put themselves in a Zoom together so they could complain. What's the fun of that? It's like 
preaching to the choir. I never understood that expression, preaching to the choir. Oh, because the choir is already inside the church, so you don't need to preach to them because they're already believers. But isn't the whole thing about cults that you're talking to people who already believe in it, but you want to keep them believing it and keep getting to sleep with their wives? I thought that's what cults did. So maybe the running backs just sit in a room and they say, wow, we need more. Next collective bargaining agreement, we're going to make sure that we're better represented. Well, no. How about if we just switch positions to a position that's more important in terms of winning on the football field? I love running backs. Otis Anderson, love him. John Riggins, oh, did I love watching him. All these guys. First down, run. Second down, run or pass. Third and long, pass. Third and short, run. That was the NFL. Now, first down, pass. Second down, pass. Third down, quick out, pass. Try down the field a couple times. You need wide receivers. You need offensive linemen. You need quarterbacks who can both throw and run. Running backs, hey, do me a favor. Just stand right here in this formation and you can block and then release and you'll be my ninth option if I even look left. But pay me like I'm a linebacker. It's completely absurd. Jim Ursay nailed it though. When he was asked to talk about it, he had a few comments. He said, we've negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise and good faith by both sides. To say now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is appropriate. God damn it, Coca. Three, eight, nine, six, nine. To say now that a specific player category, running back, wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling bad faith. Hell yeah, Jimmy. Jonathan Taylor's agent had to come out and say, bad faith is not paying your top offensive player. No, it's not. It's called good business. Maybe Jonathan Taylor should just change positions. But Jim Ursay did a Jim Ursay, which is what enables him to do a Jim Ursay. So he gives you the quote that's exactly what Cadell says, but then he's got to put somewhere else. Thank you, Thomas Joseph. You're in. DavidSampsonPodcast.com. Coke, I can't even keep up. I can't even say all the names. Then he gives a quote, Ursay does, that no one would want to be associated with, except Ursay. So it's perfect. If I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. The NFL rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. unless you're Jim, and then stand on the rocks. I present you these 15 commandments, one of which is, hey, we're just, we're just here for a minute. We're just holding on to this community asset. That's a word that owners are told to say when they're start in, in sports. Make sure that one of your talking points is that it's a community asset and that you're here for the fans. Make sure when you win anything, you thank the fans first. Make sure you don't make it about you. Great. I wonder what's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor. Are these guys going to really sit out the season? Well, who's the last guy, Coca, that did that? Um, the Bell guy set out the entire season, right? Unhappy. Barkley said he may sit out the season, then the next day signed a deal. Is that really a threat? You think Jim Irsay is quivering in his cowboy boots? 
Oh no, Jonathan, please don't sit out the season. That will be so sad. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. We're back with that. Last show we did, regular show, was on July 14th. We had the Brewers over the Reds. You may not remember it, but guess what? You won the bet. We are 105 and 105. Let's talk about tonight's Rays-Yankees game. We started the show talking about Brian Cashman's comments. I don't know if that started the show, but it certainly was earlier in the show. And I was disappointed with what he actually had to say. The Yankees came out and absolutely, that was their game yesterday. And now they've got to face McClanahan. But they have Garrett Cole going. The Yankees are favored over the Rays. The Rays are going for a sweep. The problem with the post-deadline hangover is that it doesn't go away in one game. So when you see like what the Cubs did to the Reds, the Reds are in a post-deadline hangover because they thought the front office was going to do something it did not do. And then they came out and lost, I think, 69-4 to to the Cubs last night. The Yankees came out, couldn't hit, didn't win. The Rays, on the other hand, are always told from minute one what the Rays are. And what the Rays are is a team of people you may or may not have heard of who combine to win games. The Rays players believe in their front office more than any other group of players in baseball, as they should, as it is the best front office. If the Rays sweep the Yankees, what do you think the headline is going to be? Back page of the post? Could it be season swept away? Field of sweeps? Sweep dreams 2023? Could be that. Game, set, sweep. Any more, Coca? These are right off the top of my head. But I do have the Rays beating the Yankees. McClanahan is a pitcher that you may not have heard of, you may not realize. Guess what? He's better than Garrett Cole. And Garrett Cole is favored to win the Cy Young. Garrett Cole is the only one the Yankees have. The problem with a game like tonight when you've got a team that's struggling, the Yankees. Issues between the front office and the clubhouse. Issues between the front office and the fans. Issues between the players and the fans. When you've got your number one starter going and the backup to that is Rodon who can't pitch, Severino who stinks, Herman, can he pitch, can he not pitch? He's not available and he is available, who knows what? Don't worry, we got Schmidt, we're good. No, Cole's got to win. What happens when you don't win when your number one starter and your best starter can't get you a victory? The season goes full John Malkovich. Your dreams, they go down the drain. That is what's going to happen. Raise over the Yankees. All right, we'll be back tomorrow at 8 a.m. Reminder, you still have time. DavidSampsonPodcast.com. Get into the merch store. Be a part of nothing personal. We appreciate you so much so that we'll do it again tomorrow, 8 a.m. Why? It's just business. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com